I titled this message The Interconnectedness of Critical Race Theory and Marxism because one of the many lies that you're going to hear from critical race theorists is that it has nothing to do with Marxism. That's, that may be one of the first lies you hear from a critical race theorist, that it has nothing to do with Marxism, when in fact it has everything to do with Marxism. Okay, so I hope to be able to um, educate and encourage you uh, this morning and following in Dr. Street's uh, footsteps of what he's already done over the past few weeks in this fellowship group. Um, I've seen his notes. He's done an absolutely masterful job of walking you all through what critical race theory is. And what I hope to do this morning is to just give, take you a little bit deeper, okay? Well, actually a lot deeper. Uh, um, uh, just building on what Dr. Street, the foundation that he's already laid. Um, so as he said, buckle up. Um, I've got a lot of information to cover and we're gonna try to get through it all uh, in time, okay? So listen really fast. Um, when it comes to understanding critical race theory, what you and I must initially realize is that critical race theory, or CRT, is not some kind of big bang proposition, okay? It's not a big bang proposition. And what I mean by that is that critical race theory as a worldview is not a belief that has come about ex nihilo. You may have heard that phrase before, ex nihilo is a Latin phrase, the word ex means out of, nihilo means nothing, so we get the word nihilism or nihilist from. Critical race theory is not some ex nihilo proposition that just came out of nowhere. Critical race theory has a definitive genesis, and that genesis begins with a worldview that was originally advanced by two 19th century German philosophers whose names were Karl Marx. Marx lived from 1818 to 1883, and Friedrich Engels. Friedrich Engels lived from 1820 to 1895. That worldview that they espouse is commonly referred to today as Marxism. There's an ideological umbilical cord, if you will, that inexorably, this is what I'm gonna, I'm gonna argue this this morning, that this umbilical cord, if you will, that, in, that connects critical race theory with Marxism is an inexorable connection, an undeniable connection that joins those two ideologies together. That umbilical cord that joins critical race theory and Marxism together is a mutual disdain of and contempt for capitalism. Like Marxism, critical race theory views capitalism as the fundamental cause of racism in America. That's because in critical race theory, capitalism is what breeds white supremacy. And it is white supremacy that critical race theorists or crits, you may hear me use that Short, shortened form of the word. So when you hear me use the phrase crits, that's just a shortened version of critical race theories. theories. In critical race theory, capitalism is what breeds white supremacy. But crits will argue that they want to actually deconstruct white supremacy, but what they mean when they say that, they really want to destroy capitalism. Capitalism is really the enemy here. Like Marxism, critical race theory is fundamentally a philosophy of class struggle in which the oppression, injustice, and inequality of capitalism must be replaced with a more just, equitable, and inclusive system, namely socialism. Marxist professor Dr. Epifiano San Juan Jr. expresses that vision quite explicitly in a 2005 white paper published in the Michigan Journal of Race and Law titled From Race to Class Struggle, subtitled Reproblematizing Critical Race Theory. Now, before I quote Dr. Epifiano San Juan, let me just say what you're about to hear is some of the most nonsensical, convoluted, pseudo-academic gibberish that you will ever hear anywhere. 
I had to preface this quote because what you're going to find in critical race theorists with, with, with their books, their white papers and whatnot, these are doctorates and some are postdoctorates where what they do is they write for their peers. They write for one another. So they don't write for lay people like you and me. What they do is they write to impress their peers so as to get self-congratulated. This is what they do. These are PhDs, doctorates in sociology, philosophy, education, that write to impress one another. So when you hear me quote what I'm about to quote from Dr. Epifiano San Juan, don't blame me, because I warned you, this is not going to make any sense. So don't think that because a person has a PhD that they're intelligent. Do not make that mistake. I'm quoting Dr. Epifiano San Juan Jr. in a white paper he wrote in 2005 titled From Race to Class Struggle, Reproblematizing Critical Race Theory, where he says this, quote, a study of racist practices and institutions divorced from the underlying determinant structure of capital accumulation and class rule, which allows such practices and institutions to exercise their naturalizing force, can only perpetuate an abstract metaphysics of race and a discourse of power that would reinforce the continuing reification or commodification of human relations in everyday life. <laughs> now, if you knew wh what that means, we could switch places. Continuing with that quote, we cannot multiply static determinations in an atomistic manner and at the same time acquire an intelligible totality of knowledge which we need for formulating strategies of racial, sorry, strategies of radical social transformation. A first step in this project of renewing critical race theory is, is simple to state but difficult to execute. We must begin, this is Dr. Epifiano San Juan Jr. Now you're gonna hear me quote him again. Multiple times, actually. Why do I quote him? Because he's one of the few Marxist critical race theorists who is saying the quiet, part, the quiet part out loud. He's actually saying out loud that, yes, we need to adopt Marxist principles and precepts in order to be successful in reproblematizing critical race theory. We must begin with the concept of class as an antagonistic relation between labor and capital and then proceed to analyze or criticize how the determinant of race is played out historically in the class-conflicted structures of capitalism and its political and ideological processes of class rule, unquote. So Dr. San Juan is unambiguous that in order for critical race theory to be most advantageous toward achieving the, quote, radical social transformation, unquote, that he and others who share his worldview and vision, it must be posited in such a way as to mirror the most important tenet upon which Marxism is built, namely the idea of class as an antagonistic relation between labor and capital. In other words, we must pit the haves against the have-nots, or what Marx referred to as the proletariat and the bourgeoisie. But see, in 21st century critical race theories, theory, the haves are white people, the have-nots are black people. That's the class structure that Dr. Sam Juan envisions here. So once critical race theorists have us divided into classes, they look to pit us against one another so that that antagonistic culture is, 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 is the fruit of that. This is why critical race theory is intersectional, okay? Never think that it's because it's called critical race theory that it's only about race. 
It is an intersectional worldview that divides you into class after class after class after class after class. It's intersectional. And the classes keep getting, it's derivative. You just keep dividing up into as many classes as you possibly can. That same ideological interconnectedness is expressed in a June 15, 2020 article on the website Marxism.com titled Black Struggle and the Socialist Revolution, which states this, quote, the struggle against racism and discrimination is of crucial importance for revolutionary Marxists. Now, let me pause right here. If you know anything about Karl Marx, you know that one thing he did not do was fight against racism. Marx was a racist. Marx was a Jew who hated Jews. He hated black people. He hated Hispanics. He hated Asians. He hated Middle Easterns. You can go on down the line. So for Marxism.com to say that the struggle against racism and discrimination is of crucial importance for revolutionary Marxists, that's a lie. Their entire worldview is based on discrimination. Continuing with the quote, we fight at all times against all forms of oppression and discrimination. No, they don't. <clears throat> but we do this while fighting for maximum unity of the working class across lines of gender, race, ethnicity, and religion, always linking this to the struggle for the revolutionary socialist transformation of society. Let me pause here again. So here you have again, out of their own mouths, the goal is socialism. Capitalism is the enemy. There is no solution within the limits of capitalism. It is above all a class question. And as always, we start with our general program. Our task as Marxists is to raise class unity, consciousness, and confidence. We do not fight only for immediate gains, but also to raise the perspective and potential for plenty of jobs, health care, housing, and education for all under socialism. We do not merely seek a, quote, more fair, unquote, division of capitalist scarcity. United class struggle is the only way forward. Now, that, that very phrase there, united class struggle, is contradiction in terms. How do you have united class struggle? They make no sense. <laughs> the more you study them and the more you reduce their logic down to its least common denominator, you realize they make no sense. PhDs. Now, the assertion that it is above all a class question cannot be overemphasized because, as I said earlier, like Marxism, critical race theory is fundamentally a philosophy of class struggle. It is vitally important that you remember that. It's important because in critical race theory, race is a social construct. Race is a social construct. Critical race theory does not see nor define race as a fixed, immutable, and static aspect of one's personhood that is grounded in biology or science or for that matter, theology, such as what we find in Acts chapter 17, 26. I'm gonna give you a one verse apologetic against the idea of race. It's Acts chapter 17, verse 26. This is a one verse apologetic. You don't need any other verse in scripture other than this to debunk the idea that there are races. In the New American Standard translation, Acts 17, 26 reads, And he, that is God, made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation. 
and he, God, made from one man, that one man is Adam, every nation to live on all the face of the earth. Now, question, show of hands. How many of you have ever eaten at a restaurant that specializes in racial cuisine? <laughs> no one. No one. Well, look at Acts 17, 26. That word nation there, that word nation is not talking about geographical sovereign boundaries of countries. That Greek noun nation is the Greek word ethnos. So the verse is saying that God made from one man every ethnicity to live on all the face of the earth. This is why you have different types of cuisines of food, why you have different styles of music, why you have different cultural uh, 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 types of dress and languages and things. There is no such thing as race. No one goes to a restaurant that specializes in racial, racial cuisine. They specialize in what? Ethnic cuisine. No one's ever purchased a racial cookbook. <laughs> you buy a cookbook that gives ethnic recipes, ethnic cuisine. Scripture just blows this critical race theory totally up. It blows it up. That critical race theory views race as a social construct is crucial for us to understand because to understand that is to also understand why critical race theory, not unlike Marxism itself, emphasizes the deconstruction of societal institutions and structures which purportedly exist solely to oppress blacks, and LGBTQ people in particular, whose oppression is firmly rooted in the greed and avarice of white supremacist capitalists. By the way, if you're white here, you're an oppressor. If you're black here, you're oppressed. By the way, it may come as news to you, break, breaking news, in critical race theory, because race is a social construct means that it's, it's movable, it's changeable, it's mutable. They're changing definitions every day. In critical race theory, if you're not white, I'm sorry, if you're not black, you're white. That means if you're Asian, you're white. If you're Hispanic, you're white. If you're Middle Eastern, you're white. Class. If you're not black, you're white. And if you're not black, you're an oppressor. If you're not black, you're guilty. You see, viewing race as a subjective and changeable social construct whose meaning varies with every shift of the political and cultural winds, as opposed to viewing it as a, bio, a fixed biological or scientific reality, doesn't achieve for critical race theorists the eschatological nirvana they desire in which capitalism is replaced with Marxism, and conversely, in which the current hegemonic dynamics are inverted so that power is transferred from white supremacist capitalists to the cultural Marxists. We're going to talk about that more in a second. So what the critical race theorist hopes to do, as they argue that, well, we just want to make everything fair, we want to make everything equal. No, they don't. They just want to invert what they see as the current power dynamics, especially in America, 
where they have white people as the oppressor, black people as the oppressed, they just want to flip that. So the black people come become the oppressor. And white people become the oppressed. But see, to them, that's equality. That's how we fix discrimination with more discrimination. But they don't call it discrimination. That eschatological vision is precisely why I argue that critical race theory is not merely an ideology or a philosophy, but is an all-encompassing worldview. Critical race theorists want to change the world. They want to change your way of life as you know it. That's why I say critical race theory is eschatological. Understand, eschaton, the Greek word eschaton, doesn't only mean something that comes to an end. We're talking about one thing coming to an end and another thing beginning. That's what critical race theory is, is hoping to do. That's why it says eschatological. It's an, it's an entire worldview. They want to bring this current capitalist system down and replace it with something else. I want to quote Dr. Epifiano San Juan again from the same white paper I quoted earlier, Reproblematizing Critical Race Theory, where he says this, quoting him, we need to reinstate the Marxist category of class derived from the social division of labor that generates antagonistic class relations. These, these people do not want there to be peace between the various ethnicities. They want antagonism. They're saying it out of their own mouth. This is what they want. Class conflict becomes the key. <laughs> Again, they're saying it in their own words. Class conflict becomes the key to grasping the totality of social relations of production as well as the metabolic process of social reproduction in which racism finds its effectivity. That's just a fancy $2 word per word way of saying capitalism. They hate capitalism. This will help us clarify the changing modes of racist practices. Critical race theory can be renewed by adopting class struggle as the means of resolving racial injustice through radical structural transformation, unquote. That goal of adopting class struggle as the means of resolving racial injustice through radical structural transformation is pre precisely why statistics particularly certain socio-ethnic economic data, are such valuable weapons for critical race theorists. Critical race theorists subjectively use statistics as a means to form and propagate the misleading narrative that any socio-economic differences that may exist, particularly among blacks and whites in America, are actually disparities and that those disparities are solely the direct result of inequities brought about in society by an oppressive capitalistic system that is grounded in white power and white supremacy. Hence the insensate accusations by many critical race theorists of systemic racism. Now what I'm trying to say to you is that not every difference is a disparity. Some differences are just that, they're just differences. Rightly did economist and author Thomas Sowell say in his book titled Civil Rights, Rhetoric or Reality that, quote, those who dichotomize the reasons for intergroup differences into discrimination and innate inferiority not only ignore many other specific reasons, but more generally proceed as if society shapes groups themselves. In addition to making biased decisions about them, 
Given the civil rights premise that statistical disparities are moral inequities and are caused by social institutions, with group characteristics being derivative from the surrounding society, it follows that the solutions are basically, basically political. I'm not done with the quote yet, but this is very important what, what Thomas Sowell is saying. This idea that the solutions are basically political is what gives rise to groups like Black Lives Matter. I'm sorry, I'm gonna be real honest with y'all this morning. What you have, especially in black urban culture, is you've got angry mobs of people demonstrating out of envy and covetousness that because they don't have what somebody else has, well, we need to protest that. And what these urban black cultures will do, they'll go to the poll and vote for the angriest black person they can find not realizing that that black person is a Marxist, socialist, and at worst, a communist, who is there for themselves. They're not there for you, they're not there for them. This is what gave rise to Black Lives Matter. The solution's political. Continuing with the quote from Thomas Sowell, as with so many conclusions in this area, the fact that it follows logically from the civil rights vision has largely precluded any apparent need for empirical verification, unquote. I was born and raised in Atlanta. Some would argue that Atlanta is the epicenter of the civil rights movement, civil rights era back in the 1960s. Melissa and I moved here from Atlanta three years ago. The When you, when you grow up and you go to especially public school in Atlanta, you're going to learn about the civil rights movement. They deify Martin Luther King in that city. I appreciate how God in his providence used a man like Martin Luther King Jr. But I've studied Martin Luther King Jr. Martin Luther King Jr. was not a biblical Christian. He was a universalist, a globalist, a humanist, a moralist. I've read his papers all the way back to the 1940s when he was a student at Crozier Theological Seminary. But there's a, there's a degree to which critical race theory has gained a foothold in black churches that it has not gained in other churches. Why is that? Because in the pulpits of many black churches, they're still preaching a hermeneutic of slavery and oppression and deliverance from Egypt. 400 years after the black church was founded in this country. Not even the atonement of Christ is enough because their salvation, their soteriology is economic, it's political. The concept of socioeconomic equality, particularly as that idea is framed within a Marxian paradigm of what equality is and should look like, is precisely why Dr. Epifiano San Juan Jr. can say this in that same white paper, reproblematizing critical race theory that, quote, capital ethnicizes people to promote labor segmentation, hybridity, and other differential phenomena result, unquote. Another nonsensical statement, it's just gibberish. What does that even mean? I'll, I'll, tr I'll try to tell you what I think it means, 
it means, according to Sam, Dr. San Juan anyway, it is capitalism alone that is at fault for any socio-ethnic acrimony that might exist in America today, particularly between blacks and whites. Capitalism is at fault. The solution is socialism. Now, put on your thinking caps for a minute. I wonder if socialists like Dr. Epifiano San Juan Jr. realize that in, or, in order to have socialism, you need capitalism. Where are you going to get this stuff? Where's the socialist going to get this stuff that he's going to steal from everybody to give to everybody else? <laughs> you got to have capitalism to, for socialism to work. But contrary to what people like Dr. San Juan think, not everyone thinks that socialism is the answer to these ills. Listen to this quote from Dr. Chuwi Mbetwa from a book he's written titled Why Africa is Poor, which I highly recommend to you. Why Africa is Poor by Dr. Chulwe. That name is C-H-O-O-L-W-E. Chulwe, last name is M-B-E-T-W-A. Dr. Chulwe Mbetwa in his book Why Africa is, Pure, is Poor says this, quote, socialism is not adept at finding solutions to serious problems. Its emphasis on collective responsibility over and above individual responsibility rolls over lingering individual capacity to configure self-extricating measures out of crises. In the long term, socialism robs individuals of the opportunity to acquire skills for personal emancipation. Socialism struggles when it attempts to function as a propeller of wealth." Unquote. Now, I've spoken to this point about the ideological connectedness between critical race theory and Marxism, but there's a chronological connection that I want to walk you through as well. And that chrono chronology of, of critical race theory's theory begins with an ideological call, ideology called critical theory, or CT, okay? Critical theory provides a specific interpretation of Marxist philosophy with regard to a critique, critique rather, of mass culture. In other words, Critical race theory criticizes everything. That's what the word critical in critical race theory means. It does not mean analytical. It does not mean to objectively analyze things. It means to criticize everything, everything. So for you and me, you hear the word critical, you're thinking, okay, let me just objectively analyze this to see what's objectively true about it or what's objectively untrue about it. But critical race theory criticizes everything. Everything. Also known as the Frankfurt School, critical theory is a philosophical and sociological movement spread across many universities around the world. It was originally located at the Institute for Social Re Research at the Goethe University in Frankfurt, Germany. That's why it's also called the Frankfurt School, because it was originally located in Frankfurt, Germany. The Institute for Social Research was founded in 1923 by a wealthy German-Argentine Jew by the name of Felix Weil, last name is spelled W-E-I-L, with the aim of developing and applying Marxist philosophies throughout Germany. This was 1923. So critical race theory is not new. It's not new at all. More than 100 years old. But something happened. In 1933, the Nazis showed up. They closed the institute down because the institute was headed by Jews. So the Nazis couldn't have that, so they shut the, the Frankfurt School down. Did you think, do you think that put the Frankfurt School out of business? No. 
Frankfurt School just packed up and moved where? United States, New York City, Columbia University. You can go on Columbia University website right now. And the Institute for Social Research is still housed at Columbia University. So that, that's CT. CT takes us all the way back to Germany in the early 1920s. After the Institute for Social Research moves to the United States and Columbia University, several decades later in the 1970s, it, it gave rise to a movement known as Critical Legal Studies, or the CLS movement. So you go from CT to CLS, all right? The Critical Legal Studies movement was comprised predominantly of a group of white neo-Marxist legal scholars who sought to study the impacts of legal jurisprudence in America, but through a Marxist construct of equality and justice. It was the CLS, and this is very important for you to remember, it was the CLS movement that initiated a shift from Marxism being fundamentally a philosophy of economic class struggle to one of identity or cultural class struggle. I choose to refer to that as cultural Marxism. That's very important that you remember. Until the 1970s, Marxism was strictly an economic class worldview. Again, you had the bourgeois and the proletariat, the haves and the have-nots. But in the, in the critical legal studies movement, that's flipped. That changed. It's now identity class struggle, which is where you have all these intersexual classes of people against one another now. So from the CLS movement in the 1970s arose what is known today as critical race theory. Critical theory, critical legal studies, now we have critical race theory. Similar to the CLS movement in the 1970s, the CRT movement began with a group of black neo-Marxist legal scholars who met at the University of Wisconsin-Madison in the summer of 1989 with the belief that their predecessors in the CLS movement didn't go far enough. They weren't radical enough in moving the dial left for black people in America. So now we have the critical race theory ideology coming out of the University of Wisconsin-Madison. You may be familiar with the name Kimberly Crenshaw, who is being credited with developing the idea of intersectionality. She was part of that initial meeting in 1989. Derek Bell, the late Harvard law professor was also a part of that initial meeting in 1989. Derek Bell is known among critical race theorists as the father of critical race theory. So we mentioned the word reproblematization. Dr. Epifiano San Juan talked about the, the objective here is to reproblematize critical race theory toward the goal of class antagonism. So the question for us is, what is the result of that reproblematization? What does that get us? What, are they, what does that take us? Dr. Daniel Sabotnik answers that question in his book titled Doc Toxic Diversity, Race, Gender, and Law Talk in America. Dr. Sabotnik is professor of law at Touro College of Law in Central Islip, New York. And in that book, he says this, quote, with control of race discourse in their hands, Critical race theorists turned their attention away from the legal academy and toward American culture in general. And this they have done with enthusiasm, developing and then applying new methods for the purpose 
and scouring the broad landscape of American life, they have found race and racism implicated in a terrifying array of institutions and practices. Whites then stand accused and have remained largely undefended, unquote. Now, when Dr. Sobotnik says that critical race theorists have found racism implicated in a terrifying array of institutions and practices, he's not saying that, that critical race theorists have found objective evidence of racist practices in these institutions. What he's saying is that they are presupposing. They're just imparting a narrative that institutions and systems are racist. Because in critical race theory, you see nothing has to be proved. You just have to assert, just assert it. This is what he means when he says white, white people then stand accused and have remained largely undefended. I have a uh, PowerPoint version of this same presentation. And in that PowerPoint presentation, I have a slide titled, You Can't Win, Parenthetically, If You're White. You can't win. What the critical race theorist is hoping to accomplish, and, and to a large extent, they've been very successful, is they've been able to paint, as Dr. Sobotnik just said, they've been able to implicate institutions and systems as being racist without having to prove. So asking them to prove it, especially if you're white, you're by default a racist. So what they're hoping is, well, I don't want to be called a racist, so I'll just look. That's the formula that they use. They're using the, the naivete, maybe even ignorance of this topic of white people to shut them up. Because if you try to defend yourself that you're not racist, that proves you're racist. It's, it's called unconscious bias. No, you're, you're racist, you just don't realize that you are. That's why I say for white people, you can't win. Now remember, if you're black, you're not black, you're white. You can't win. Critical race theory is built upon one main presuppositional thesis, but it's supported by other sort of just as important theses, but little subordinate theses. But the main one, the main thesis upon which critical race theory is built is that racism is the normal, common, and everyday experience of all people of color in America. If you want a one-sentence definition of what critical race theory is, that's it. it that racism is the normal, common, and everyday experience of, of people of color in America. That assertion, that definition takes us back to Acts 17, 26, where from one man, God created every ethnicity. So all of us is a person of color. We're all people of color. We're just different shades on the same color spectrum. But see what critical race theorists want you to do. They want you to run into Home Depot, get one of those paint swatches, swatches hold it up against your... because they want to divide. They want to divide. Go over to the paint section, get one of those swatches. Okay, where do you measure on this? Okay, well, if your melon is this shade, you're white. Well, if your melon is this shade, you're black. Don't think I'm exempt from that, folks. <laughs> Believe it or not, I've been called white supremacists. I have, I've been called white supremacists. I've been called a white supremacist, coon, house nigger, Uncle Tom, sellout. I've been called every name in the book. And every single time it's been somebody who looks like me. 
I've never, heard, I've never had a white person call me those names. Never. But if you want a one-sentence definition of critical race theory, that's what it is. Critical race theory is the idea that racism is the normal, common, and everyday experience of people of color in America. Give an example of that close to home, about how that definition has been inculcated by the culture and by society. This, what I'm about to quote to you, is on the UCLA School of Public Affairs and Critical Race Theory Studies website. Quote, CRT recognizes that racism is ingrained in the fabric and system of the American society. The individual racist need not exist to note that institutional racism is pervasive in the dominant culture. This is the analytical lens that CRT uses in examining existing power structures. CRT identifies that these power structures are based on white privilege and white supremacy, which perpetuates the marginalization of people of color, unquote. Excuse me, that's from the website of the UCLA School of Public Affairs and Critical Race Studies. Now let's talk about marginalization of people of color for a second. I've been held up at gunpoint twice in my life. I've had a gunpoint in my head on two different occasions. Every time it was a young black person who did it. Talk about marginalization, let's talk about marginalization. I stand before you right now as a descendant of black African slave owners. Owners. My paternal DNA traces all the way back to the Guinea-Bissau tribe in Guinea-Bissau, West Africa, the Balanta people. B-A-L-A-N-T-A. The Balanta people were rice harvesters. The Balanta people willingly and volitionally participated in the transatlantic slave trade with the Portuguese to sell black African captives in war to the Portuguese in exchange for farming tools. The Balanta people were rice harvesters. So the Portuguese promised them farming tools, which helped the Balanta yield more bountiful rice crops and made them wealthier. So we don't want to even talk about slavery. You cannot have an intellectually honest conversation, not with me, unless you want to talk about the role black Africans played in facilitating the transatlantic slave trade. But slavery and critical race theory, that's the one sin that, that you cannot get forgiveness for. That is the unpardonable sin. Because it's built on this narrative that only white people own slaves. Do you know that even in the South, during the Civil War, there were black people who owned slaves. Thousands of them. But see, that's the white elephant in the room. I should have probably said another color elephant. <laughs> <laughs> that's the elephant in the room that critical race theorists don't want to talk about. They don't want to talk about that. Let me quote something again from Dr. Daniel Sabatnik from his book, Toxic Diversity. He says, if race is central because racial supremacy is central to American culture, that's precisely what critical race theorists argue. Remember, one sentence definition is that race and racism is the normal everyday experience of people of color. Dr. Sabatnik says, if race is central because racial supremacy is central to American culture, then all, and this is how the critical race theorist wins. This is how they make their money then all features of American culture are presumed tainted. Not proven, presumed. This is how they make their money. Getting you to believe that all systems 
institutions, every aspect of American culture is presumed tainted. And as Dr. Sobotnik says, in such an environment, racism can be presumed and need not be proved. That's how the critical race theorists win. All we have to do is say something is racist. We just have to say it. We don't have to prove it. That's how they get you. Do you guys know that racism is big business? You got anti-racists out here making tens of millions of dollars on their books on how not to be racist. But see, if I had one question to ask them, one question is theological. Why is racism wrong? Now, if your response is anything outside of your own opinion, you don't even get it. You can't say racism is wrong just because you think it's wrong. You just give me your opinion. There's got to be a higher objective authority than what you think. Secondly, why are there so many books on how not to be racist? There's so many books out there on how not to be. Do you know anyone familiar with the name Ibram X. Kendi? Ibram X. Kendi is being treated as today as the foremost authority on anti-racism. Do you know he charges $25,000 a pop? I didn't charge that to, to join heirs. <laughs> the man literally charges $25,000 per appearance to tell an audience of primarily white liberals that they're racist, so they pay to be told that they're racist. <laughs> and then tell them how not to be. But I'm thinking, okay, if you've got a gravy train that's working like that, why would you ever tell them how not to be racist when they keep paying you to tell them that they are racist? <laughs> Has anyone ever played the game, the board game Othello? Othello, Othello let me use this illustration. Othello is a really cool board game. It's sort of a hybrid chess checkers thing. It's played on a green board that's divided into small squares. The game pieces are just a, a small round chip. One side of the chip is black, the other side of the chip is white. The object of the game is to trap the opposing color in such a way that you flip that color to your color. You win the game by having more chips on the board that are your color than the other color. Other color. That's how critical race theory works. It's like a game of Othello, but only in critical race theory, they want all the chips to be black. No white chips. No white chips on the board. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 through 16, For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. And verse 16 Therefore, we now recognize no one according to the flesh. Contrary to Paul's exhortation in 2 Corinthians 5, critical race theory recognizes every person according to the flesh. Every person. I gave you the main presuppositional thesis of critical race theory, the pillar that racism is everywhere. It's the normal experience of people of color. There are three pillars that support that main pillar. Number one is what's called interest convergence. Interest convergence is also known as material determinism. 
The interest conversion, interest convergence thesis says that racism benefits and advances the interests of white people always and only at the expense of black people. That's the interest convergence theory. That was developed by Derrick Bell. The second pillar of those three is what's called the social construction thesis. The social construction thesis holds that race and races are products of social thought and relation, that they are not fixed biological or scientific realities. That's the social construction thesis. So that's why race is a social construct. It has nothing to do with biology or science. That's why they can change the definitions. Race in critical race theory is a moving target. It's whatever they say it is. Third is what's called the voice of color thesis, or VOC. The VOC thesis holds that ethnic minorities are better suited to talk about systemic oppression and marginalization. So in other words, if you're white, you have no right to say anything because you're the problem. The voice of color thesis in critical race theories holds that if you're a white person, just shut up. You have nothing to say because you're the problem. Just shut up and listen. Shut up and listen. Richard Delgado and Gene Stefanik, two of today's most influential critical race theorists, acknowledge in their book, Critical Race Theory, an introduction, quote, critical race theory builds on the insights of two previous movements, critical legal studies and radical feminism, to both of which it owes a large debt. It also draws from certain European philosophers and theorists, such as Antonio Gramsci, Michel Foucault, and Jacques Derrida, unquote. Now, in saying that, what Delgado and Stefanik don't tell you is that all three of those men Gramsci, Foucault, and Derrida were Marxists. Here we have, again, they're saying the quiet part out loud. They're giving credit, the three Marxists, for the critical race theory movement. In the book, The Devil and Karl Marx, Dr. Paul Kengor, professor of political science at Grove City College in Grove City, Pennsylvania, said this, quote, this is important for you to remember. <clears throat> In a crucial respect, classical Marxism and cultural Marxism will always bear an essential enduring commonality, one that explains a lot about today's modern left. Both classical Marxists and cultural Marxists see history as a series of struggles that divide the world into hostile and antagonistic groups of oppressors and the oppressed. Both seek out victim groups as the anointed group that will also serve as society's redeemer group. The victim group becomes the agent for emancipating uh, for, for emancipation and ushering in the new and better world. Remember I said earlier that critical race theory is eschatological. This is exactly the point that Dr. Paul Kingor is saying. He says the victim group becomes the agent for emancipation and ushering in the new and better world. The Marxist must always then be on the search for the newest victim class, which in turn must always be made aware of its victimization. Its consciousness must be raised. In classical Marxism, this was simple. The victim group was identified by class economics. It was the proletariat. It was the factory worker. In cultural Marxism, this has not been so simple because the culture, the culture is always changing. The victim group is constantly being searched for anew by the cultural Marxists. Anew, anew. They're looking less for factory workers than cultural workers. Forget the factory floor. That project failed long ago. The new recruiting ground is the classroom floor, the campus, the university, the schools. That is where the cultural workers who can usher in the fundamental transformation are being sought and are being found. 
these modern cultural revolutionaries are succeeding magnificently in redefining everything from marriage and family to sexuality and gender. This is what I meant when I said earlier, don't ever think that critical race theory is only about race. It's about everything. It's about criticizing everything. Here you have, listen, a more recent example of this is Judge Ketanji Brown Jackson in the, the Supreme Court nomination hearings just last week. She refused, I, 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 I refuse to say that she couldn't define what a woman is. She didn't define what a woman is. She knows what a woman is. But this is cultural Marxism at work. There you had her sitting, sworn in, and those who watched that saw an example of cultural Marxism at work because they redefined the terms. You just saw, that was an example of intersectionality right there. That was an example of deconstructionism. Where you can't define a woman, what a woman is. You won't define what a woman is for the sake of obtaining a, a seat on the Supreme Court. You talk about a sellout. Now that's a sellout. What you have done, you have just denied Genesis 1.27. The God who created you in his image. You just rejected the highest accolade that anyone could pay you, that I'm an image bearer of God. You were formed. Judge Brown, you were formed. You weren't taken from the dust like the man was. That's exactly what Dr. Kingor is saying here. Continuing to quote. This is where today's Marxists in America and the West are toiling hard. They are working diligently on the cultural front. That is where they are confident that they can finally take down the West and its Judeo-Christian bedrocks that Marx and a long line of disciples looked to smash. Now I'm getting ready to close, but I'm going to give you five reasons real quick why CRT is unbiblical. Five reasons real quick why critical race theory is unbiblical. Number one, told you you need to listen fast. Critical race theory, number, reason number one, critical race theory is unbiblical because it categorizes image bearers of God into groups for the purpose of causing division and antagonistic class struggle. Reason number two, critical race theory is unbiblical because it imparts sinful motives to certain of God's image bearers solely on the basis of the color of their skin. Reason number three, critical race theory is unbiblical because it transfers the guilt of presumed sins of those from past generations to those of present generations. That's what I call sin by proxy. So again, if you're a white person here, you're guilty by virtue of existing. You're guilty of the presumed sins of your ancestors against my ancestors. Doesn't need to be proven. It just needs to be asserted. Because you're white, of course your ancestors own slaves. That makes you guilty by proxy. Reason number four, critical race theory is unbiblical because it is rooted in the sin of ethnic partiality. And then reason number five, critical race theory is unbiblical because it promotes materialistic covetousness and envy under the false pretense of justice and equity. Now, there's much more about critical race theory that I wanted to share with you today, but in the interest of time, I'm going to, I'm going to begin my close here with what I think is the fundamental question we as Christians must consider. That question is, is critical race theory compatible with Christianity? 
That's the fundamental question. Is critical race theory fundamental with, Chris, with uh, Christianity, compatible with Christianity? I want to answer that question by quoting from an article by Dr. Eric B. Watkins. Dr. Wa Dr. Watkins is senior pastor of the Harvest Orthodox Presbyterian Church in San, Marco, San Marcos, California. This quote I pulled from October 2021 20, issue of Table Talk Magazine by Ligonier. So if you happen to subscribe to Table Talk Magazine, you can find this article in the October 2021 20, issue. Dr. Eric B. Watkins writes this, quote, is critical, race, is, is critical theory's worldview compatible with Christianity? That is an important question. While it may be possible to find Christians who endorse critical theory, it is nearly impossible to find critical theorists who endorse Christianity. That's an absolute fact. This is because Christianity is an overarching system of thought that seeks to define reality and posits objective moral values. According to critical theory, Christianity fosters unsafe ideologies and institutions that perpetuate anti-scientific thought, intolerance for certain sexual behaviors, parochialism, patriarchy, and a punishing authoritarian, authoritarianism for any who do not conform. Pre-Enlightenment Christianity is seen as stuck in the dark ages of intellectual barbarism, and the post-Enlightenment church is viewed as perpetuating colonialism, racism, sexism, chauvinism, and homophobia. Critical theory is critical of virtual, virtually all worldviews, including Christianity. Its goal is human autonomy from any objective authority whatsoever, unquote. Now, contrary to what many Marxist crits and black liberation theologians would have you believe, critical race theory is not merely some innocuous, innocent way of promoting anti-racism or of teaching people about the history of racism in America or of understanding how the power dynamics of white supremacy have operated in this country. I'm going to leave you with this quote. Uh, anyone have children in public school? This is for you. Teresa Montano heads up an organization, a Marxist organization called Liberated Ethnic Studies. Speaking of which, um, don't expect a public school teacher or administrator to, to acknowledge to you that, yeah, we teach critical race theory in, 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 the, in your child's school. <laughs> They're not stupid. They're not going to call it critical race theory. They're going to call it ethnic studies. They're going to call it social-emotional learning. They're going to call it culturally relevant teaching. This is why I say critical race theory is a stealth ideology. It doesn't want you to recognize it for what it is. They're not going to tell you it's critical race theory. So you have to know the vernacular. You have to know the language. This is exactly the case with Teresa Montano and the organization that he, she heads up called Liberated Ethnic Studies. This is a Marxist critical race theory group of public school teachers. She says this. I want to leave you with this, especially those of you who have children in public schools. And California is an epicenter of, of the, the battle to get or keep critical race theory out of public schools. Teresa Montano says this. Please listen closely. Quote, ethnic studies is more than pedagogy and content. Ethnic studies is about creating change in the community. And what you will see in the lessons that follow or how classroom teachers begin to use critical race theory connected to ethnic studies in a way to empower and to create social justice activists out of our students. 
unquote. That's the goal of getting critical race theory in public schools. It's not to educate your children. This generation of grade school students are gonna come out of high school as the, as the most uneducated generation of children in this country's history. Because the goal is not to teach, it's to indoctrinate. You just heard it. They wanna create social justice activists out of your students, out of your children. That's the goal. That's the goal. I wanna thank you again, Dr. Street, for having me here. Thank you all, John Ayers. I appreciate it very much. <laughs>